I am always surprised at people's lack of understanding of the democratic process or failure to respect it. Or we can say the Pledge of Allegiance three times during the course of an evening, but still not respect that we are a governing body, you know, of equal vote, equal voice, and separation of power of executive branch, legislative branch, and, you know, we're here to do the work of the people. This is Professional Confessionals. We're joined today by Putnam County Legislator Nancy Montgomery. Thanks so much for joining us, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about your path to the present moment. Where did you go to college? What did you plan to pursue? And at what point did you become involved in public service? So I went to college at the State University of New York at Purchase, um, a wonderful art school, you know, one of, it, one of a kind in the State University program for the arts and theater and music. I went, you know, as a senior from high school intending to study theater or music having just been filled up with a lot of that growing up. Went to Purchase as a, as a literature major at first, intending to eventually audition for the theater program or the music program. But quite honestly, was a bit intimidated. I was uh, a big fish in a small pond in my hometown. And then when I got to SUNY Purchase, it was, it was very intimidating with all the talent. And I, I continued to pursue my degree in literature at Purchase. And then I began my life of public service pretty much from the time I was in junior high and became interested in, you know, student body government. I was the class president my freshman, sophomore, junior year, and then student council president senior year. That's very impressive. (laughs) Wow. So it began a long time ago. (laughs) When was the first time that you ran for public office? Seventh grade. (laughs) (laughs) You got me there, Nancy. (laughs) Was it like that movie election? (laughs) I didn't see it. Oh, you would enjoy it. You should check it out. I'll have to check it out. But I ran ran for office in 2007, I believe I got elected, and I ran for town council. My seat was primaried. It was apparently, I was told, one of the first primaries, Democratic primaries in Phillipstown, or if not first, they hadn't had one in many, many years. So, and how that works is the committee was, I think, somewhat divided about endorsing me to run for office. They eventually did endorse me to to be their candidate, their Democratic candidate. The committee kind of split because they had another candidate in mind. And uh, we primaried, and I I won the primary, and that individual actually stayed on the ballot and and ran independently. So got elected in 2007 and served for four years and ran again, you know, always, always with uh, an opponent, you know, someone always ran against me. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful process, I think, to have someone, you know, run against you, and it's, it just... Um, speaks to the beauty of this town and the interest in local government that we have such races that people are so interested in. So, And then you continued to serve for I, 11 years? I served almost three terms. After my third term, most of the time as the deputy supervisor, I was asked to run for the county legislature. It was Difficult for me to make that decision because I'm very passionate about local government and home rule and was encouraged always, as I always am, by the folks of this wonderful town. And I really believe in, you know, going where the people want you to go, despite my reluctance and despite my need to stay completely local. I felt, you know, this is where they want me to go and I need to do this. And so I, I made the decision um, quite late in the in the cycle when you know committees decide who to put up for election. I decided I think it was late in May that year, and I ran for the legislature and won. And here I am. 
And the incumbent was someone who had been serving for a number of years. Number of years. I actually sat with the incumbent on the town council for a number of years. We served together on the town board, and then she lost her seat on the town board and ran for the the legislative seat and won and served, I believe, two terms, and I ran against her in her third term and, you know, beat the incumbent, which is a challenging thing to do. Yeah. So what influenced your desire to serve publicly? Where did that stem from? I think it's just an organic, natural development. I come from a long line of public servants. Both of my parents were school teachers. My grandparents were school teachers. My grandfather, you know, served in the Air Force in World War One as a mechanic and Lots of wonderful, famous stories there. But they settled in Phillipstown um, after they left Okinawa, Japan, where my two oldest brothers were born. They were teaching in Japan after the war. They they came back and decided to settle in Phillipstown, and, and they just became part of the community, serving on the PTA, serving on the school board, serving on the planning board, my father did, and... And I was just surrounded by it all the time. He, My weekends were spent at the North Highlands Firehouse, where my father, you know, he actually was on the, the first board of commissioners for the firehouse. They built the North Highlands Firehouse. So that was a really, really special place for me and spending weekends there with my dad. And uh, just witnessing them, I think, you know, throughout my whole childhood, we there wasn't a a week that went by where my father didn't have all the planning board maps, plans, files laid out on the dining room table before a meeting preparing after their hard day of work. That's what they did. You know, they would go do their duty at the the firehouse or serve as, as lectors at Our Lady of Loretto, Knights of Columbus, you know. So I was just surrounded by it. And I, I didn't know there was a choice not to contribute to your community. I thought that was just what you had to do. And, you know, with great honor, and it's sort of a way of, you know, thanking the community for allowing us to live in this beautiful place and being who we are. What an excellent legacy. Yeah, if they only knew I was, well, they did know before they left this earth that I was a Democrat. I was actually elected before they both died. Um, But I, you know, my whole, my whole family is Republican. And, you know, I'm a Democrat, but it's great. I think it's great to have that in your realm of, you know, conversations. And, you know, it just proves that people can still like each other and talk to each other and actually love each other if they're of different parties. Not everybody understands that, though, I don't think. <laughs> right. Was, how, how difficult or challenging was that to break from... It wasn't it wasn't difficult at all. You know, quite honestly, the first time I ran, I was not a registered Democrat and I was approached by the committee and they decided after the interview to endorse me. But they said, listen, you're not a Democrat. Would you consider registering as a Democrat? And I thought nothing of it. I was like, oh, it would be my pleasure if I have. You know, if people are asking me to do something, you know, and they're going to stand behind me because they need me to represent them. They need the work of the community done. And and I'm the one they want in that position. I will do it. So I registered Democrat, got elected. And quite honestly, after that, I was a very committed and devoted Democrat. I really believe in the philosophy. And, you know, in, in regards to how was it with my family? There there was no question. There was some joking. You know, it was, I think it was during the time of George Bush's last election and things were a mess in the country. And, you know, my father was very sick at the time when I first ran, but we had some wonderful conversations and he was very frustrated with the government at the time. And I remember him looking at me and saying, I think you're on to something. <laughs> so that was... That was sort of a pat on the back and saying, you know, it's okay. And, you know, for my siblings, I'm sure they joke about me and laugh, and but we could still all get together and enjoy enjoy each other. I mean, I have a lot of respect for their values and their beliefs, and 
the way they're committed to their causes and their party. My sister actually will campaign with my opponent locally, door to door. And I think I think that's an amazing thing that we can do that and still have respect for one another. So coming from a family where everyone is a Republican, I imagine prepared you for your current position as the lone Democrat on the legislature? Yeah, I I think it I think it did because again, I don't I don't see the Republican Democrat issue. You know, I see a governing body and the my challenge is getting them to work with me. And it's it's a challenge and it's a learning curve for me and it's you know, I, I see that, you know, we've been chipping away at democracy little by little. I mean, it's quite evident just in my meeting, for example, last night where I had wanted to get something on the agenda, for example, that would make it a little bit easier for the public to attend meetings. I wanted to standardize meetings throughout the month where, so that people could be prepared and have it on their calendar and know exactly like, you know, oh, the health committee meeting is the third Thursday of the month or something like that. Instead, we get these random calendars at the beginning of the month and often they change, you know, within the month and the public is very confused. The times are always different. So I had requested to put that item on the agenda a month, you know, oh, you know, well before the meeting and it was it just went unacknowledged by the chairman and and I brought it up during the meeting. You're not allowed to bring things up that aren't on the agenda. But, you know, um, the point about this democratic process, his answer was, well, I need to check with the county executive. And, and my problem with that is we are separate entities. You know, there is a division of power here and we can make this decision on our own and we should. And and there was another you know, issue about channeling things through the county executive, all correspondence with employees and department heads have to be channeled through the county executive, which can be very challenging when you want to get something done. And it's quite obvious to me that that rule only applies to me. So I wanted that addressed at the meeting. I wanted that clarified and sent a memo out to get that clarified as well. And that went unacknowledged because they're waiting for the county executive's comment on it. And so I don't know where the division of power is, quite honestly, between the legislative branch and the executive branch in the county at this point. And I feel like I need to make that clear, you know, for the public and to help my colleagues understand that we're walking on thin ice here with that. So there are challenges and and that's okay. I expected that. You know, I, I think it's reflective of what's going on on a national level. And I just don't think that belongs in local government. I, I don't, you know, we, we're, we're here. This is a very small county, and, and I think we can work on this together as Democrats and Republicans, conservatives. Everybody can figure this out. We can have those conversations quite easily. I have for years, you know, in other places. This is unique, but we'll, we'll get there. What qualities do you think are necessary to work and thrive in this field? I think lots of patience and a real willingness to listen. It also sounds like there's a lot of perseverance that is required and getting up again, if you will. There is. When I think of the word perseverance, I think of a big ego, though. And I think, you know, it's very important to let go of that, let go of the ego, let go of the words, I did this. You know, it's never I, it's you, you've got a whole community behind you. You've got you know, thousands of voters behind you that elected you, you know. So perseverance does feel like, you know, get yourself up, but you never, you're never alone. You're never just getting yourself up. There's always you know, a handful of people behind you or thousands of people behind you. Perseverance is is an important quality, but I tend to not use that because it does feel quite egotistical. It's just, I'm not a warrior. You know, I'm a, I'm a public servant. Mm-hmm. Inside, I'm a warrior. <laughs> Do you think your profession has changed you? If so, how? I think it's made me appreciate people 
so much more. I think it's really made me see the struggles that people have. I think it has has changed me a great deal. I think I can see how fortunate I am. And my eyes are open wide as a result of my profession because I can I can see how many people struggle just, you know, in this small county of Putnam in this little town of Phillipstown that's, you know, considered one of the wealthiest probably in the country. And people still struggle the day to day. I mean, just watching people get on the train every morning and go to work, you know, in order to come up here and live and raise their children here. I get calls from people who, you know, maybe don't have heat. When I was on the ambulance corps, I would walk into mobile homes of elderly people with the roofs caving in. I don't think everybody gets to see that or knows, really understands that that does exist. New to me, because we don't have those services here in Phillipstown, but through this work as a legislator, you know, I can see, I can visit the Child Advocacy Center, or we have a Women's Resource Center, and, you know, understand that those difficulties do exist. It's not just something you read about in the paper. They're real live difficulties. They're here. And, you know, I think that's what this job has helped me see. You know, that's the work that I want to do, you know, despite, you know, needing to continue this. And by continuing it, I have to like persevere and pick myself up and have a bit of an ego and get out there and like make sure that my voice is heard in order to get reelected, maybe. More importantly, it's acknowledging and having my eyes wide open to what what the real work needs to be. And I, I see it as your perseverance in terms of making sure that you do get to do the work that you find so vitally important. That's a really good way to put it. I, every day, I think I have to wake up and make sure that I can do the work that I feel is important. And I can lose sight of it. I can lose sight of it, you know, because of the difficulty, the barriers that I have to break through. And it's really easy to lose sight of the important work because of those barriers or, you know, whatever gets in the way. So you have to really take a step back and say, that's not what's important. You know, doing a healthcare form to get people to sign up for, you know, open enrollment healthcare is what's important. Let me, let me focus on that. Instead of spending, you know, the whole morning reliving the meeting from last night, that's over. It's done. Right. <laughs> Ruminating on yeah. what all of the egos brought to that. Mm-hmm. There was a state senator. I just listened to her speech at one of our meetings. And, you know, her advice was to only only stay angry for four hours, you know, just four I'd like to minimize that. I'd like to stay angry for one hour. You know, the drive home. I could stay angry for the drive home on 301. (laughs) And then... That's a good goal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What do you like most about the work that you do? I like visiting the senior center and sitting down with my friends there and having lunch. The work that I've done this year... I love getting to know all of the different not-for-profit agencies throughout the county. Like I said, the Women's Resource Center, the Child Advocacy Center, all of those organizations that are here to help people. Those people that work for those agencies are some of the most amazing people I know, and they're great mentors, and that's the work that I love. I love putting people together You know, I love getting resources for people. I love to solve that problem. You know, if it's a road issue, you know, we want we want to slow the speed down on 9D. You know, who knows how to do that? How can we do that? You know, I was on the theater board for a long time, the Phillipstown Depot Theater Board for a long time. And it was a wonderful place to be. But as you can imagine, you're you're with, you know, a group of theatrical people. (laughs) can be very dynamic. And we had an issue that needed to be solved. And it took a long time to solve this. And I overheard board members talking about me at a gala once. And they said, yeah, she's like a dog after a bone. (laughs) And at first, I was really insulted. But I think that that's what I do best is just dig down, dig down and find the root of the problem and try to solve it. 
It's what I like best. No matter what it is, I guess. It could be anything. We're coming back to the word perseverance, Nancy. I know you don't like it, but you know, you you see a problem, you want to see it solved, and you're not going to let go until you know you've done everything that you can. And it might take a long time. Yeah. It might take a very long time. And that can be frustrating for my constituents. And sometimes it's not always at the forefront. You know, something else comes up, always something else comes up. You know, there's always something new every day to address. Do you ever want to just quit? (laughs) Is there a moment? I mean, I can see myself reaching a point where, you you know, you don't do it, but you feel like, oh, man, this is just too much. I don't think it would be quitting because it would always evolve into something else. And that's exactly what happened, you know, with me. I never intended to run for office. I you know, got out of college and I managed group homes for a while for disabled folks. And that truly was the love. That was my work. And I really loved it. And I moved back to my hometown after a long time away. And I think that was during the 2020 vision meetings they were having in Phillipstown. They were starting the comprehensive plan process. And and that's when it sort of kicked in. I attended one of those meetings. It was just, you know, back in town for a week. And there was this great meeting at Haldane School with everybody you could imagine out trying to plan the next 20 years for our community. And we're going to hit that (laughs) mark. Oh, my gosh, I just realized that we're at 2020. And, you know, from there, I got involved with the Depot Theater only because I was booking local bands at restaurants in town and approached the board and said, hey, I have this band, they really belong in a theater. Could I produce a show at the theater? And I did that and somebody saw me doing that and they liked it and they asked me to be on the board. So I joined the board and from there they said, you know, I think you really need to get on the Recreation Commission. So from there I got on the Recreation Commission because somebody asked. And and then, you know, my biggest challenge during that time was I just I wanted to become an EMT. I was I was helping take care of my elderly parents. They weren't well and I had this great interest in how the system works of ambulance and coming to the house and you know these great volunteers. So I became an EMT and worked, you know, through the the county Bureau of Emergency Services training which was fantastic and then Needed to needed some more employment and uh, got a job actually at the dispatch center. I became a nine one one dispatcher over at the county as well. That was very short lived because my children were little and the commute over there wasn't so great. And it was wonderful to get that hands on experience. And I was very interested in emergency response and emergency preparedness. And and out of the blue, somebody approached me during that time and said would you run for office? So back to your point, you know, do I ever want to quit? I don't think I can. I don't think I have a choice because if I quit, like maybe I, maybe I don't get elected again or something like that. To me, there's really not a lot of difference between public service and being elected or, you know, serving on a board as a volunteer or just contributing in some way to your community. You know, it would be showing up at the senior center and spending time with my friends there or helping them out, taking them to an appointment or finding somebody who needs some help in figuring out how to get health insurance. Or, you know, for example, I had a a friend who was very, very sick and needed to work through the whole bureaucratic process of getting their certificate for medical marijuana. You know, any any of those things, I, I can do all that. And I would just continue to do that anyway, whether I was elected or not. And luckily, I live in a place where people know I can do that. So they call me anyway. (laughs) And to that point, in your profession of elected public official and having been involved in your community for so long, you're very well known. So you know everyone pretty much. And so anytime you step out, you're probably involved in a million conversations. And I guess there's a bunch of other things that, that are a result of that. Certainly, that's a really good point, you know, and if we're going to get to the challenges of my job, that's one of them. It's the thing that feeds me. It's the thing that keeps me going. You know, if I live outside of the village, if I ever need 
to figure out what I'm doing. I just get in the car and I go to food town and then it kicks in. And I know I, I know what to do. It gets overwhelming sometimes when I can't figure it out or when it's just too much at once and questions come or too many people need help at once. And I just I want to fix it now. And I have to remember patients. These systems are very hard to get through. You have to be patient and really take each one one step at a time. Do you generally like the people that you work with, those that have been attracted to this field that you work alongside as colleagues? Yeah, I think we're all in it genuinely deep down at the core for the same reason. And I like that. There's no doubt in my mind that we all want to make our communities better. We all want what's best for our community. I've been criticized on the legislature for not seeing the big picture in the in the whole county, you know, just focusing on, on Phillipstown. But these are the people I represent, and the feeling, I think, has been for a long time, decades, that we've been underserved. So I would imagine my colleagues feel the same about their communities. They want what's best for the people that they represent, the people that voted for them, the people that even even if it's not the people that voted for them, but geographically, the geographic region that they represent. Uh, I think at the core, we all want that same thing, is to do what we can to make our communities better. I don't dislike my colleagues. I do feel that they've lost sight and lost respect for the institution of the democratic process. The lack of respect that I get, and I know it's just because I'm a Democrat, because I ask questions that haven't been asked before, you know, because I challenge them, I don't like their reaction to me. As one of my colleagues put it, I made a statement during a committee meeting. I don't even know what it was about, but this legislator said, oh, that's just stupid. And it was kind of comical. I looked up, I said, oh, did you just call me stupid? He said, no, I said, what you said was stupid. You know, I, I think sometimes some of the things that they say I don't like. And so for that, I guess I forgive that comment because I could feel the same way. Like some of the comments that they make are not in keeping with the democratic process, you know, sh- shutting me down before I could get my point across or ask a question or not putting my or even acknowledging my memos to ask to be on the agenda Sounds really frustrating. Really frustrating? Um, Yes and no. I think it's part of the process. I think it's a gift in that it's going to just make my office stronger and the process stronger and people will open their eyes and hopefully my colleagues will too to see how we can do better. What have been the major obstacles or challenges that you've had to overcome? or that you're in the process of overcoming, perhaps? I think the challenges come from within me. I think it's the challenge is persevering (laughs) with confidence. You always doubt yourself. And I think when you do, that's when you become frustrated or angry. You know, rather than just trusting your instinct, because, you know, you pretty much do know the right thing to do. I think we all know what the right thing to do is. And when you lose sight of that, you end up doing the wrong thing. And when I lose sight of that, I can do the wrong thing. I can react in a way that is not respectful of my office or the people I represent. And I think that's that. Wow. I think that's the biggest challenge, you know, trusting your own core and your instinct to do the right thing, you know, There are a lot of influences. There are a lot of people that want to tell you what to do or how to do it. You know, sometimes you want to give up because you you don't trust yourself completely to persevere, to, to break through the barriers of not getting on the agenda or not being listened to or, you know, your values are different than your colleagues because you believe one thing, they believe another. Philosophically, it's just different. And you know, a challenge is uh, having respect for their their opinions and their values. You know, it's not the challenge is letting go of needing to be right. We all want to be right. Sure. 
I have a question about something you said earlier about your colleagues. You believe most are in it for the right reasons. You think that applies to most politicians? Because politicians as a group, you know, are not that well thought of by many because they think that they're self-serving perhaps or they're in it for themselves, but they pretend to be in it for public service. Can you address that? You know, I can. And I, I have had experience and opinions about that. In fact, we witnessed it during this last election. There was a letter to the editor about, you know, how dare you Democrats run somebody against, you know, somebody else. And and I had that experience, you know, the first time somebody asked me to run for the legislature. And I, I didn't have any interest again because I really love local, local government and wasn't ready to leave my seat on the town council. And I uh, was working or trying to get some things done by the county. So I called my representative and was not getting a call back. This is a town council person calling a county legislator to, to get some things done and just, again, not being acknowledged. So it was getting on close to the time where the elections were going to begin. And the legislative incumbent at the time, who represented my district, finally picked up the phone. You know, I was like, I still need this thing done. And could you answer the phone? And, you know, if you're not answering me because you think I'm going to run against you, you're wrong. I, I have no interest in running against you. And she said, oh, thank God, I really like my job. And I that I hear over and over again, you know, this is a this is a job for some people who run for office. Maybe some do it because they need the money. Maybe some do it because they need the health insurance. I think when we run into that, we really do some damage to these offices. You know, it really diminishes the whole democratic process. I think, you know, if we took away all the money, took away the health insurance, we would still find candidates, maybe even better ones, who would really see the value in running for office. So to hope that nobody runs against you to keep your seat, I just think is disrespectful to the public. You know, we have this system. It's so wonderful. And I mean, some would say, oh, it's easy for me to say that because I haven't lost or I haven't lost yet. Yeah, <laughs> there's still plenty of time, and I'm sure I will find one that I'll lose. So there is a self-serving piece to this, and I'm sure that I'm guilty of it as well. You know, I love working. I love this work that I do. If it was taken away from me, I don't know what I'd do. You know, again, I would serve the public in some capacity, and I'm really lucky that I get to do it the way I do it now. I mean, who gets to do what I do? I just wake up every day and I'm like, how, how come I get to do this? It's pretty amazing. In my mind, if I think of ever running for office, I know that they're going to say a lot of mean things, a lot of things which aren't even true just to demean my reputation. How do you go about processing that? I know when someone says something mean about me now, I ruminate on it for hours and maybe it'll ruin my day but a politician gets way more. How do you deal with that? Maturity. <laughs> it was very difficult 11 years ago. It was very difficult, oh, up until maybe six years ago, where a comment would really throw me off track for a long time. And you believe it, and you would do whatever you can to correct it, and you would spend hours responding, reacting, and you just learn over time that your that criticism is a gift. First of all, you learn from it. You take a look at yourself. You take an honest look at yourself to see where it is that you can find that you can see what they see. Be really awesome to to find that person and face them and and have that conversation about you know what is it that you're really trying to tell me here? Help me, help me help myself. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Criticize me. Please keep criticizing me so I can get better at serving you. It's sort of the way to look at it. But I've heard a lot of really awful things about me. <laughs> That's so damaging. It's so hurtful. And it could really put you under for a while, but you pick yourself back up. You know, my, my I have a 
pretty unique story, you know, in the loss of my husband. You know, my, I lost my husband in a train derailment six years ago at Spite and Dival. And I had already won two elections before he died. I had to run for office, actually, shortly after he died, you know, less than a year, probably. You know, a, a, one of the comments I heard was the only reason people know me was because my husband died, you know, that kind of thing. And I've heard, you know, people comment about you know, how much money they think I have or got, you know, and, and nobody really understands like wrongful death suits and, you know, what they base it on. But let them think that and fantasize about what they think I am. I, you know, I think what happens with that is it just helps me work harder to show them who I really am. That's what that criticism does. It really does help me work, work harder at showing them who I, who I really am. What I find most frustrating about, I guess, politics or maybe the world in general is it's so hard for the truth to get through. That's so true. And you don't know yourself as the elected official how to get it through or what venue to use to get it through. That's sort of what I'm dealing with now. I was pretty damaged for a long time by the local media, you know, with lots of untruths. That's when Roger Ailes was running the local paper, yes? Yes. And I hold on to a lot of resentments about that. You know, there was there was this really damaging article that had to do with a phone conversation that made headlines and that was just filled with lies. I mean, yeah, and I that's that's the immaturity of me. I still think about that and I think because basically it was it was the last conversation I had with my husband was, you know, how to react to that, how to respond dealing with that. And I, I'll hold on to that resentment probably. You will know, never grow out of that because it, it just, people read the paper. They believe everything they read. And I think the challenge is, is getting your truth out, how to get your truth out, how to get your word out, how to get your message out. You know, what do I use? Do I use Facebook? Do I go on Instagram? Do I just create my own podcast? <laughs> but I think I could spend a lot of time doing that. But I think just the nature of doing the work that I do and just keep doing the work the way I'm doing it, that's the truth. That's all I can do. If I start focusing on reacting to the articles or what what happened in the past or, you know, trying to create my own venue for getting my message out, which, you know, someday I'll do when I have time to figure this, you know, still getting my feet grounded in this new job that I have. But in the meantime, I think just really figuring out where my feet are in this job that I have and, and doing the work that I need to do. And continuing to stand in your truth, regardless of what people might say, you stand in your truth. Exactly. Yeah. That's really important to me. And the older I get and the more criticism I get, the easier it is to find that. It's a softer way. It's really kind of nice to, to be here now. So someone who wants to be a politician, they're going to have to face that kind of thing, I suppose, in varying degrees. So it's part of the package. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, my, my advice would be don't set out to be a politician, you know, what is a politician, lawmaker? You know, why do you make laws? You make laws to make the world a better place, safer, you know. Just start at home. Start in your community. Start when you're going for a walk. I am by no means the kind of public servant that I see out in my community. I can't compare myself to the firemen, the people that are on the school board, you know, the people who start these groups like, you know, Friends of Little Stony Point or James Pond or these people are just so dedicated. That's that's public service. And I'm so far away from that now. And I have to be honest, if this is a confession, I envy them. I envy them. I know I could join those groups and be a part of it, too. But, you know, to, to have the focus of, you know, just to become passionate about those things in your community. That's what you do if you want to be a politician, I guess. I don't, you know, it's like, what, is, what does the word politician mean anymore? 
Well, it seems to me that some are politicians and some are public servants and maybe some straddle both. I don't know. I get so deflated, you know, when I'm in a at a party and somebody introduces me as a politician. Like, I don't know. I guess it's a dirty word in a way. I, it kind of feels that way when you're when you're hit with it. It's like it's like, you know, I get slapped in the face when I'm introduced that way. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's a part of me that wants to be a politician because, you know, I love this system and I want to know everything that there is to know about it on every level. Um, that's one of the other favorite things I get to do in my job is I get to go up to Albany to these legislative conferences and meet with every legislator throughout the state and learn about their initiatives and what are they doing to make their county better. Those are the great things. Or just, you know, DEC workshops on estuary programs. And I attended a public forum on trout stream management last week held by the DEC and their new plan that they're going to kick off soon. And I, I, I want to know what's going to happen. You know, how are we going to manage these streams to make them better? And how can we you know, bring in you know, better things like recreation and fishing to our communities. Is there anything that surprised you about being a public servant? I am shocked every day. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just so surprised. I am surprised every day at the talent that I come across, you know, sometimes in my colleagues, sometimes in the people that I meet at these conferences. I, I am so surprised at what they know good example was I I uh, visited Glenwood Farm a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to bring in the New York State Senator, that's the head of the Committee on Agriculture, Senator Jan Metzger, came to Glenwood with me. And to tour Glenwood with their executive director, Kathleen Finley, was just listening to her knowledge and what she has to bring to this wonderful gem we have in our community and to hear her talk about this, these new s- cider initiatives and these programs that Glenwood has to offer um, and her background. And I just, I can't believe how smart people are every day. I'm just surprised by that. And then, you know, the other side of that is I am always surprised at people's lack of understanding of the democratic process or failure to respect it or, you know, we can say the Pledge of Allegiance three times during the course of an evening, but still not respect that we are, you know, a governing body, you know, of equal vote, equal voice, and, you know, separation of power of executive branch, legislative branch, and, you know, we're here to do the work of the people. And I'm surprised that sometimes we don't have respect for that. It sounds like you're dealing a lot with this is how we've been doing it. And they've kind of lost sight of the foundation of how it should be done, regardless of how it's it's been carried on for, it sounds like, quite a while. Yeah, I had that thought this morning. You know, I wake up and I take a look at, you know, what am I doing wrong here? What do I not understand what do I not have respect for? And is it that, you know, this is the way it is? This is the way it's been done? And if that's the case, this is the way it's been done, I just don't understand it. That's fine. But the way it's been done isn't working for my community. Not It's not working for my constituents. So I I have to persevere. Right. And just because it's the way that it has been done for any number of years doesn't mean it's the right way to do it at all. And I, And I think that's what they've kind of lost sight of. I th- I think so. And if I can help them see it, if I could f- find a way to get them to listen, you know, it's going to be a slow process. I think I'd be serving the whole county if I can do that. Are there any misconceptions that you'd like to dispel? We work really hard. We all work hard. I believe that we all work really hard. I can see that. We all mean well. We're all you know, trying to do the right thing for our community. And yeah, we're, we, we want to see, you know, our work noticed. I do think you've hit upon something because there is perhaps not enough knowledge about 
what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. So some could be under the misconception that it's kind of a fluff job, that you're not really doing that much, that you go to a couple of meetings and, you know, make appearances and, you know. Yeah, I don't I I don't have that impression from anyone. It's not just we just show up. Certainly, it's obvious to me from the time that goes into, you know, just just showing up at the meetings, but the time that goes into going through the agendas. And like I said, I'm, I'm surprised every day at the knowledge, how smart people are sometimes. Sometimes it's frustrating because we should know more about some things, you know, before the meeting than we do. A lot of times... I have to work through things at a meeting. I really believe in the public process of that. I'm not going to work on something outside of the public's eye for the most part. That often would be the criticism of me. I've, I've heard through comments that, you know, I could have asked that before the meeting or it, it's important to me to ask those those questions that I do in public. And, you know, quite honestly, I, I don't have the luxury of working on specific things within departments because I'm held up by this weird clause in this legislative manual that, you know, we have to channel everything. Sometimes I don't get an answer back for three days. I mean, I've been waiting since I've been in office for an answer on, you know, one issue that requires a memorandum of understanding for a local not-for-profit that was in the works before I took office. And it's just, it's still sitting there. So in a situation like that, is there no recourse? No, if they don't want to bring it to the table, if the county executive doesn't want to sign it, then she won't. Or if they don't want to have it leave committee or even have it appear on an agenda. I mean, I could just keep trying. I could find different strategies. But if they don't want it, we have to wait until there's a change of guard, I guess, to get those things move forward. I always come back and say, okay, let me try a different approach. Let me just work on it another way. Mm -hmm. It's too bad for the public. It's too bad for the entities involved. If it's held up because, you know, a Democratic legislator is bringing it forward, then that's a shame. At this point, with some of these things, I can't think of another reason why. You know, I've wanted to attend the, um, the drug task force meetings that are held, I think, every month. And I've sent every month I send a memo out to the chairperson of that committee and CC the county executive. I'd like to attend. I'd like to bring our drug resource coordinator from our town, tell you about the work we're doing, unacknowledged, month after month. Is it tribalism trumps reason? For now. Just for now. Like I said, we wake up and find a different approach. Maybe I'll (laughs) register for a different party. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. But again, it's if that's what's holding it up, that's a shame. I don't know what's holding it up. Because there's no communication. N- you know, no. Some of the things are, you know, being sent to the law department or sending it to the law department is the answer. That's three months ago. Let's switch gears a little bit. Tell us about your proudest moments and biggest disappointments. I think just a number of them proudest moments were passing the zoning code for the town of Phillipstown. That was years of hard work, mostly by our town supervisor, Richard Shea, and, you know, committees of volunteers of the you know, comprehensive plan committees and the zoning code update committee. And that that was a really proud moment because that was a very challenging thing to do. I think for me personally, I felt like I really did a lot of work on it was, you know, having been one of the only local governments to pass a safe storage law, thinking of smart gun safety and legislation and something as controversial as that for a little town board to take that on, even though the end product wasn't what I originally wanted We did make a statement with that. And then creating the drug resource coordinator and getting our little town to fund that because, you know, I was around this drug crisis for so long and had been attending roundtables where I sat at the table with legislators on the federal, state, county level and would hear about all these things that were happening, but we weren't 
getting anything here and couldn't find a way out of it. So you know what? We kind of take care of our own here to our detriment, you know, because we, we are a community that is so progressive in these things and can see through and get ahead of all of these things that are happening, these crises, and we can take care of ourselves. And I was really proud to initiate that. My first two months on the legislature, I was really proud to be the only one to vote against the county's resolution to repeal the Reproductive Health Act in New York State. We kept spending all this time on the county trying to get the state to repeal the work that they've done instead of doing the work that we really needed to do. And that was a proud moment for me because it was it was scary, I'll be honest with you. You know, it was Coming from where I come from, as you know, very Catholic, um, conservative upbringing, and my this family and this church that I love, and and all of that. But you know, I really felt in my heart that this was the right thing to do. If you could change any aspect of the work that you do, what would you change? I would set up an office. I would set up a local office here in Phillipstown. I'm really just trying to create that on my own in my home right now. And I've never been good at the office thing. That's why I think I do what I do. I'm always I'm always out, you know, setting up an office, a desk to sit at just would be torture for me, but I really I need to do that to become more efficient in my work and to have some time for myself because right now it's just every day all day my computer's in front of me. I wake up and I start I go to bed with my computer and it's it's there. So to have an to have an office set up, that's what I would change. And I'm available. I mean I'm available in town. It's just my my living room is my office. My dining room is my office. So to put some parameters around when you're working and when you're not working. Yeah. Yeah. Right now it feels like I'm always working. How can you it, not? It I mean, feels like it or you are always <laughs> working. <laughs> It's, you know, it's the phone thing. It's the computer thing. It's always available to me. And I'm interested in it. I just, I'm just always interested in what are people saying? What do they need? What are they responding? What's being put out there by the legislature? You know, what's happening next? We get these wonderful emails from the legislative clerk's office about what else is happening throughout the state, you know, on the county levels. And they're just filled with so much information. It's incredible dedication. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Would you recommend it to people suited to it? Would I recommend running for office to people suited to it? Oh, it's the greatest gift you could ever get. I would recommend it to anybody. And people say to me all the time, every day, I couldn't do what you do. And I don't understand what that means. Because I feel like I get to do what I do, and and I think anybody could do it. I think anybody could do this. We're, we're all deep down, just you know, genuinely do-gooders. We want to we want to do good, even if it's for ourselves. Again, it's the it's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. I I think people perhaps what might be so daunting to them is your total level of dedication and commitment, the the hours that you put in, the sacrifices that you make personally. I think that that's what people are looking at when they say, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I think, you know, there are many people, a lot of my mentors who do it way better than I do because they're organized, because they... And they probably don't have to put in the hours that I do, or maybe they do. I think there are so many people who do it well, who do it better than I do it, and they just, they're made for it, maybe. They have a maturity about them. I learned so much from, like, Sandy Galef, Pete Harcum. You know, I can't wait until Karen Smythe runs for office again, because, you know, just just working with her while she's running for office She's a great inspiration. She's a great mentor. I look at people like that, and they're meant for this. And I would recommend it for for anybody who has a mind for it. Anybody who has a desire to do this work should go for it. I think you're meant for it. 
Knowing what you know now, would you do anything differently? I would pause a lot more before reacting. I would take a lot more time before responding. I never feel prepared enough for a meeting, let's say, and I would definitely be spending more time with each and every line item on the agenda and ask questions about, you know, what it is and what's this transfer for. And I think each and every item on an agenda that requires legislative action deserves a a lot of research, deserves to have questions asked instead of just passed through. That's not what the people put us here for. That seems to happen in many legislative bodies, federally, state, local. Yeah, at first I was like, oh, just maybe they know a heck of a lot more about this than I do. And you know, just don't don't go along with it. Just don't go along with anything. Do your homework. Is there any specific advice that you'd give to someone who's considering a similar path? Don't just do it because you want to do it in your mind. Make sure you have backup. Make sure you have some people behind you. I really think it's important to be asked to do something or ask people if you're suitable for it and listen with an open mind. You know, as I said, anybody could do this. I think it's important that people get the advice of people that would support them because it would be awful to not have any support. You need a lot of people behind you. I don't want to think of it as an army. You know, I was wanting to study theater and music. You need a Mm -hmm. choir of people behind you. (laughs) Choir, that's a good image. (laughs) Is there anything we haven't covered here that you think is important for anyone considering a similar path to know? My advice would always be don't take any of it personally. That's really important. That's the hardest thing to do is don't take it personally. You know, even if you have a really difficult meeting, it's really hard to go walk away and go, you know, into your office with your colleagues and smile and shake hands and talk about their kids. That's that's what you want to do. Don't take it personally. No, follow your heart. You know, reach down, figure it out. What What is it that you really want to do? Decide, you know, if you want to run for office, understand why. Why does that call to you? And you'll know if you're doing it for the right reasons. What's next for you? I mean, I think I will always have to be a public servant, like we talked about before, you know, regardless if I am an elected official or if I'm just, you know, serving in some capacity. I I have a lot of things that I want to do. It was really nice. My campaign manager during this last election said to me, you know what I like about you, Nancy? You're an eternal student. You know, you just constantly want to learn. You wanted to be an EMT. So, you know, you did the 180 hours to become an EMT in my second round of yoga teacher training, not because I want to be a yoga teacher, but because I love the practice and I want to understand it better. On a legislative level, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that I want to initiate that I I don't want to put out here right now. It's important to be standing on solid ground before before I start that and to make sure I have the support of the people before I do some of these things that I want to do on a local level. I have such an interest in, I want to say, the senior population. You know, I, I think there's so much to learn from the older folks in our community and I don't feel like I can I can get to that. And I really have a craving to get their wisdom. You know, I just want to just if, if I could, if I had the means to just wander around my town all day visiting my older friends just to listen to their stories and to really listen. I, like when I was at the senior center last week, my friend Vinny was talking about fishing in the spring and there's this spot I think near Manitou down in Garrison that and he just went into such great detail about setting the hook on the fish and what the feeling when you first get that bite and I mean I could just sit there and listen to that for hours so I don't know if it would be work with seniors or you know what that would take away from the joy of it It would just be like making sure I had the means to have the time to do that on a daily basis because that's what brings me joy Uh, I joke about it and I say, well, my retirement job is I just I really want to be the breakfast waitress at the Beaverkill Valley Inn up on the Beaverkill in the Catskills (laughs) so I could just hear about fishing stories 
all day. <laughs> Let everybody come in, tell their story, see the picture of the fish, and you know, then after breakfast I can go out fishing. That's how I would like to spend my days. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. To hear more and subscribe, visit our website, professionalconfessionals.com. You can find Professional Confessionals on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.